Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have just heard the word of the Lord read. And we have responded with one voice. Thanks be to God. We thank you for the gift of your word to us. And we pray now that we would be like your servant John, who cried out, it is the Lord. Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would give us eyes to recognize the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ among us in this place. Give us ears to hear his voice and turn our hearts towards him that we might follow him in obedience and faith. For we ask this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. We've come to the end of our sermon series in John's Gospel. The last chapter of the Gospel, chapter 21. We'll spend this morning considering the first half of that chapter and then next week we will consider the second half of that chapter. It's good to remember that John wrote this gospel later in life. After years and years of pastoral ministry, years and years of of being a missionary, of preaching the gospel, it's quite likely, in fact, it's, it's probable that John wrote his gospel after he knew the other three gospels were circulating. He was aware of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then he sat down to write his gospel, his testimony, to who Jesus was. And remember what John tells us at the end of chapter 20. That's what we heard last week, the final verses of that chapter. 
John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now notice what he's just said there. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. But John has recorded for us these particular signs. These are the signs that he wanted future generations to remember, to consider. And in these final two chapters, he records for us three meetings between the risen Lord Jesus and his disciples. And we've heard about two of those meetings already. We considered it last week. And John tells us now in this account, this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. And John has just told us that this was a sign that he performed many signs. Now, we might read that and just uh, on the face of it think, yeah, he was giving signs to prove to them that it was him, prove to him the res- them the resurrection. But we need to remember that's not what John means when he speaks of signs in the gospel. Remember the first sign that Jesus performed. He turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And John told us at the end of that account, this was the first sign which revealed his glory. The signs reveal the glory of Jesus. They reveal that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that by believing in him, we might have life. And that tells us that as we are reading through John's gospel, and as we have been considering John's gospel, we are concerned with what the signs signify. That's what signs do. They signify. And so the question before us this morning is, what do these signs, the disciples with empty nets, and then the full nets of 153 fish, and then Jesus waiting for them on the shore, having made breakfast and inviting them to come and eat breakfast, what do those signs signify? What's signified in those signs? And so I want us to consider that, the significance. And I want us to consider first the the symbolic significance of what happened, and then the personal significance of what happened. Now, the symbolic significance is the fishing itself and gathering all those fish. And the disciples knew what this meant because Jesus had already told them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He'd already said that to them. And the fish and the bread, we've heard about that before too. John chapter 6, when Jesus provided fish And bread. And so, as we consider the symbolic significance, we need to consider all right, this is fishing for men, and and let's remember John 6 and what Jesus said in John 6. But then the personal significance. This is a very ordinary account. Some young guys fishing, Jesus making breakfast. There's nothing extraordinary about that. And this tells us that. God is working out his redemptive purposes in Christ in the very mundane and ordinary events of our day-to-day lives. And Jesus is present in those things, and he's concerned for us. He cares for us. So we need to consider the personal significance. What does this have to do with me, with you? But first, the symbolic significance. So everything about this uh, this account has significance. 
the Sea of Tiberias, the, the, the full net of fish, the bread and the fish that Jesus serves them. All of these are echoes of things that we've already read in John's Gospel, mainly in John chapter 6, and things that were clearly for the disciples an echo of what they had already experienced. So let's consider that. And we begin by looking back to John chapter 6. Because there John introduces that account. They're by the Sea of Tiberias. Here we are again. By the Sea of Tiberias. You'll remember the disciples in John chapter 6. They were out on a boat. Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Tiberias. You'll remember that there by the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus fed the great multitude, the 5,000. And the meal was the same. Fish and bread. And so it's clear that John wants us to remember John 6. Compare John 21, compare John chapter 6. And let's remember how Jesus explained the meaning, the significance of this sign, the bread and the fish. So I want us to go back and just hear again a few verses from John chapter 6. Starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now listen to what Jesus says now. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do the will, my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the will of the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I remember when I was studying that passage a few months ago, uh, the word for draw there literally means to drag, to drag. And I remember when I looked that up, it said, this is like what fishermen do with nets. They drag the nets. And I will raise him up on the last day. Well, here we are again, Sea of Tiberias. We've got nets. We've got fish. We've got a meal of fish and bread. And we need to remember where John locates this account in the gospel. We have just heard that Jesus has met with his disciples, breathed on them the Spirit, given them his peace, and has said, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. Now what Jesus says about the Father's mission, the Father's mission to the Son is, the Son will receive all those that the Father draws to him. And then he says, I'm not going to cast anyone out. I'm going to keep them. I will hold them. I will not lose any. And I will raise them up on the last day. Now here we've just heard about 153 fish that have just been drawn out of the sea. As we read through scripture, the sea is often a symbol of the nations. The nations, the sea, the people of the nations, the fish. They've just been drawn out. Now, are any of those fish cast aside? No. 
Are any of them missing? No, there's 153, a very precise number. They're counted. They're all there. Is there any tears in the net? Is it possible that any of them got out? No, the nets did not break. This is the symbolic significance of the nets of the fish. The father draws, he drags those to the son. The son receives them. They are counted. You are counted. You are kept. And here is the risen Lord Jesus receiving these fish. And he has said in John chapter 6, I will raise them up on the last day. His resurrection life. So we can see there a connection between John 6 and John 21. But for the disciples who are out there fishing, having spent all night, labored, now they're tired, their their nets are empty, they didn't catch one fish. And then Jesus calls up to them and says, throw your nets over here, the right side, and then it's full of fish. Well, they all would have immediately remembered what happened when Jesus first called them. And we read about that in Luke chapter 5. And here we're just reminded of the importance of the order of the biblical books. As we open up our New Testament, Matthew first, then Mark, then Luke, then John, then Acts. Now that's not accidental. That's on purpose, that order of the books. Now think about this, Luke and Acts, they go together. It's volume one, volume two. Why wouldn't they go together in the Bible? Volume 1 and Volume 2. You leave off the end of the, the book of Luke, and then when you, turn, when you pick up Acts chapter 1, it's picking up right where Luke left off. Why keep those together? Why not keep those together? Why separate them with John? The reason is, as we read through the Gospels, it is helpful, it's important that we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John. And so if we've been reading through the Gospels, we've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We've just read Luke, and now we're in John. And Luke chapter 5 records the account of Jesus calling his disciples that first time. And remember the account. They were out fishing all night, just like this night. They didn't catch anything. They come into the shore. They are weary. They're hungry. They're tired. Their nets are empty. Jesus is ministering to some people on the shore. He's preaching to them. He sees them come in. He goes out and he gets in the boat. He gets in Peter's boat. He says, just go out a little deeper. Cast your nets. They do so. And their nets are so full that this time they tear. And remember how Peter responded to that. When he saw this happening, he falls down before the Lord on his knees. And he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, notice Peter's response this time. He casts himself into the ocean, into the sea. He's not casting nets, he's casting himself. I, you know, Peter was used to the ocean, you know, he's, he's a fisherman, he's out there, he could swim. I'm sure he could dive. Not this time, he just threw himself over the edge, cast himself in, just like a net. Now he's the net, he gets cast into the sea. And he runs to Jesus. Now, does he think he's any less of a sinner or any more worthy now? Absolutely not. He's very much aware, even more so of his sin, but he knows his Lord. He knows the grace and the mercy and the resurrection life and power of his Lord. And then remember Jesus' response that first time in Luke. Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We're going to hear that next week. 
Jesus will say to Peter, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Remember, I've made you a fisher of men. But when we look at the echoes of Scripture, when we look at John 6 and we look at Luke chapter 5, we can see the symbolic significance of this account. Yes, the Father is going to draw those who are saved to the Son. But he's going to do that by means of those he sends. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. It's through the mission of the church, the ministry of the church, the preaching of the church, the witness of the church. That's how the Father is going to draw those who are saved to the Son. And notice that the disciples, when they go out there to fish, when they fish in their own strength, using their old skills, they're experienced fishermen, they know how to fish, they catch nothing. When they rely on their own resources, their own strength, their own efforts, their own skills, nothing. But when they respond to the command and word of the Lord Jesus, their nets are full. And that's a reminder to us and an encouragement to us. We don't share the gospel. We don't serve in our own strength, relying on our own skills, our own resources. At the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his word, we speak his word. His word is the net. His word is what gathers. And so we are simply faithful in declaring his word, living according to his word. And we go in the power of the spirit, not in our own strength. So there we see the symbolic significance. And Peter, the one who dragged in that net of fish, only a few weeks later would be standing up in Jerusalem. Another morning, Pentecost. And there he cast his net again, 3,000. Put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, and are baptized. So that's the symbolic significance. And we need to remember, I'll just throw this in. This is a little bonus point. We have the same kind of geography in Revelation chapter 12. We have the sea, we have the shore of the sea. And there in Revelation 12, John sees the dragon standing on the shore of the sea. He calls up out of the sea a beast. That's true, the dragon's there. But remember, the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus is there. He's on the shore of the sea. He calls to us from the sea. Yes, we see the dragon. We do not fear the dragon because the risen Lord Jesus is standing on the shore. So the symbolic significance, but also the personal significance. This is a very ordinary account. As I said, some young guys going fishing. Jesus making a fire, cooking some fish, setting out some bread, calling them over for breakfast. And as we look at the personal significance of this account, we see that the redemptive purposes of God in history are happening in very ordinary means, ordinary ways, among ordinary people in our day-to-day lives. And it also tells us that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is present with us in the ordinary and routine moments of our day-to-day life. And we see there his care for us, his concern for us. Think of the question that he asks his disciples. 
Children, do you have any fish? How's it going? And then his command, his invitation, come and have breakfast. And I want to consider that question and that invitation. First of all, the question. The disciples had been out all night. They'd been laboring. Peter had stripped off his outer garments. They're exhausted. They're thirsty. They're hungry. Their toil has been empty. Their nets are empty. Now that image is helpful. There's learning in that. There are times where our nets are empty. And that's by God's providence, in his kindness. He does empty our nets at times. He does bring us to our, to, to our end. When we are striving in our own efforts, he, he'll let us wear ourselves out. But he does that so we can recognize our need for him. So that we're in a place where we can receive his grace. That's the position the disciples were in. Our Lord in his kindness and his mercy will sometimes bring us to such a position. Empty nets. Then he calls out to them, children, do you have any fish? Now the word children here, you might translate that. This is kind of an older word for it. Lads. Lads, do you have any fish? Boys. Hey, boys. Do you have any fish? It's very familiar. How's it going, boys? How you doing out there? Any fish? Now, we don't know if the disciples were acting in unbelief by going fishing again. I mean, we might wonder that. What are these guys doing? Let's go fishing? Didn't they leave their nets behind and follow Jesus? They're back at it again. It could be that Peter, is, he knows he's waiting for Jesus. The Lord had told them, go to Galilee and wait for me. Peter's not an idle man. Okay, I don't know how long this is going to be. Let's go fishing. We don't know exactly the state of their heart or whether they did this in unbelief. But even if they did, the Lord doesn't come and rebuke them. Doesn't yell out at them, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you fishing again? No, it's a gentle question. Hey, boys, do you have any fish? And I'm reminded here of what we read all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had taken the fruit transgress the commandment, recognize their nakedness, their shame. They're hiding from God. Now God comes into the garden. Does he come in yelling, Adam, what did you do? Dragging Adam out of the trees in condemnation and judgment? No, remember the the Lord goes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Now the Lord knows where he is. But he's drawing him out. Adam, come out. Where are you, Adam? Even here, our Lord is drawing out the disciples. Boys, do you have any fish? How's that going? And then notice the response of the disciples. It's very simple. No. No. That's it. They don't make any excuses. There's no commentary. There's no explanation. There's no platitudes about, ah, you know, sometimes you catch, you catch some, you don't. It's just simply, no. Now, this is different than Adam, remember. God asked Adam a very direct question. Did you eat from the tree? Adam's simple response should have been, yes, I ate. But remember what he said. 
the woman that you gave me, you, Lord, gave me a woman. You, you gave me a woman. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. It's your fault. And I, he finally comes, comes to, you know, a confession. But here the disciples, there's no platitudes, no explanation, no commentary on that. Just simply no. And so it is for us. And just think what the Lord is asking you this morning. The risen Lord Jesus, how's it going? You're wrestling with this particular sin. What's happening with that? Many of you are concerned about your work, your school. And this is not an abstract question about the nature of mandates. It's a very real, life-changing issue that you are facing. And the Lord is asking you this morning, how are you? How's that going at work? And this is the nature of our relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We just answer simply. It's really hard. I don't know what to do. Or I do know what to do, but I'm afraid of what, what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. But we see here the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he's concerned for his disciples. He's concerned for us. And the disciples simply say, no, we don't have any fish. And then Jesus gives them a command. He inquires, and then he commands. Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, I don't know all the particulars of your situation. And I don't know what the Lord may be commanding you as he's inquiring of you this morning. But I can't help but hear an echo in cast and you will find in what Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels. Again, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Some of you are in that place. And you, you can read and you can consult and there's all kinds of helpful resources and you can talk with different people and think about how do I navigate this, what do I, what do, I do? But let's remember that we are a people First, that the Lord cares about. He's concerned. He wants to know. And we live by faith. And we are praying people. And so right now, we need to be on our knees asking, seeking, knocking. And what's the promise? You will receive. You will find. It will be opened. So we see here the personal significance, just a simple response to the Lord's questions. And then a simple obedience, simple and direct prayer. But also we remember we've gone through the gospel and how much Jesus speaks of, especially when he was with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, how much he spoke of love and our love for one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. And oftentimes, this is usually the case, we hear the Lord's inquiry. 
how are you doing? When a brother or sister comes to us and asks us, how are you doing? Here we see the Lord's love for his disciples. Boys, do you have any fish? We ought to love one another that way. So we're, we, we are asking one another, how are you doing? What's your situation? Can I pray with you? What can I do to help? This is a time for that. Ask one another, how is it going? What can I do? How can I be praying for you? And then we have the invitation. So they come on shore. And they see there the charcoal fire. The fish laid out. The bread laid out. He's prepared a table for them. And the invitation, come and have breakfast. Verse 12. Now, the whole scene is remarkably domestic. And let's remember that Jesus lived the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. Lived a very quiet life. The Son of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us for 30 years, lived a quiet life in Galilee and Nazareth, working with his hands, getting up every morning, making breakfast, going out to work, coming home tired, spending time with his family in the evenings, reading, praying, spending Sabbath with friends and family, going to synagogue, making pilgrimages to Jerusalem. A very simple, quiet, ordinary life of work, fellowship, prayer. And then, after the resurrection, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we were writing this as a movie, you know, consult a few writers and directors from Hollywood, you know, how do you think this would go? Maybe storming into Jerusalem, you know, confronting the religious leaders. Going to Rome, confronting the emperor. Some sort of big showdown. Here he is, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But on this morning, our Lord got up early. He knew the disciples were out there. Went to the market, bought some fish, prepared them. Maybe he went to the bakery and bought some fresh bread. Maybe he needed it himself. Maybe he did that the day before. It was ready, you know, it had risen. Baked it. Went out there, made the fire, cooked the fish, set out the bread, called his disciples over for breakfast. That's what the risen Lord Jesus Christ was doing. Now notice how ordinary and routine this is and how domestic this is. And let's not lose the significance of this. This is what we do with most of our time. Very ordinary, routine, domestic things. But the fact that our Lord took that time to make breakfast and prepare it and serve it to his disciples tells us that we can never look at breakfast the same way again. And I'm, th- I'm thinking of you parents, especially you moms. You know, you get up, get up before the kids, you're getting them all out for school in the morning, you're making breakfast, that whole routine can be a bit chaotic. It's frustrating. This is what the Lord Jesus did after he rose from the dead. And it means that that routine of day-to-day domestic life and work is sanctified and glorified 
by the resurrection and by the presence of the risen Christ. He's with you in it. And notice the meal itself. I mean, we can imagine the scene. The disciples come in. You know, they're a little worse for wear. They're panting. They're tired. The sound of the seashore, you know, maybe some seagulls there. And the disciples come in. They're, they're huffing and puffing. And there they see the fire, maybe a little bit of a crackle, the warmth of the fire, the smell of the fish, the smell of the bread. I mean, everything about that scene is wonderful. And yet, it's just fish and bread. It's not like, hey, boys, I got some caviar here, and I got this, like, fancy Russian vodka, and, you know. Okay, no. It's just fish and bread. And this tells us, too, that, yes, there are times where we might have a, an extravagant feast. But the resurrected Lord Jesus just served a simple breakfast, a simple meal. And that speaks to the significance of our simple hospitality, our simple meals. The early church picked up on this. Luke highlighted this about the early church, the early community of believers. You know the summary statement, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread. But then Peter goes, or Luke goes on to say, day by day they were in the temple, and then they were in one another's homes breaking bread. Not in one another's homes laying out extravagant meals, just regular normal meals. Soup, bread, sandwiches, whatever, fish. And so as a people who are living and serving in the power of the resurrection and the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we should be in one another's homes. And we don't have to outdo one another in extravagance, just a simple meal. So this is a call to hospitality, but we don't have to be you know, featured in Toronto Life or the, the Food Network when we do this. And it is significant that the risen Lord Jesus fed his disciples, and so he feeds us every Sunday. And every Sunday we come, and the Lord sits at table with us. And he offers us, again, something simple. Bread and the fruit of the grape. But in that meal, we recognize the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ with us. And we're reminded that as the Father has sent him, so he sends us. And so we come here and we are nourished by this meal. He's with us. He provides for us. He feeds us. And we're reminded that we are those who then go out. We cast the net of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And we know that he's with us, he nourishes us, and in his power we go out and we draw others to him, just as the disciples drew those nets. So let's come to the Lord's table now, knowing that this meal is a reminder of his presence with us, of his provision for us, and of our calling to be those who draw others to him.